Welcome to the Secret Lair Drive-In with your hosts, D-Dub and Stratosphere. The Secret Lair Drive-In is dedicated to bringing you the finest in B-movie entertainment news and reviews. And now, on with the show. Professor, I'm sure there are two monsters. I got a funny hunch that they're not related as we know father and mother or brother. One might be the other's offspring. I helped bring him up. I knew him better than anyone. He was always such a gentle little creature. It's not just a theory that the mountain monsters are harmless creature. The two monsters are known to be near brothers. If one is a killer, so is the other one. Gaia! Well, that's just what I needed. I want the laser guns put into operation. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of It Came From Beneath the Drive-In Movie. And this week I am once again joined by my co-host Stratosphere. And I am joined by his co-host, D-Dub. And this week's movie is The War of the Gargantuas from 1966 from Toho Productions. 
a classic if everyone. Well, we care to do a real quick plot rundown. Now, just for everyone out there, Strat's going to be doing the rundown of the American version. There are some differences between that and the Japanese. I have seen the Japanese version. so. And I have not. Um, I do remember this movie when we were kids. Uh, we've mentioned uh, a couple times before on uh, It Came From Beneath the Drive-In Movie, they used to have the weekend movie. Uh, here in Cleveland, where they'd show basically the same movie from 1 to 3, from 11 to 1, both on Saturday, and then from 3 to 5 on Sunday. So if it was if it was a good movie that you really liked, it, it was for those of us who didn't have VCRs back in the day. Yes, that's how old we are. Um, you could uh, you could memorize those movies to your heart's content. Yeah. Now you see, I remember this one on the local movie host, Superhost. Because he'd show a lot of the uh, Japanese monster movies on his show. Yes, he was a he was a big one for that. Uh, again, this is this is something that a lot of uh, this generation has missed out on is uh, the the horror movie host. Uh, Superhost was a local was a local newscaster by the name of Marty Sullivan. He'd basically put a little red makeup on his nose, put on a mock Superman cape and costume. And we're getting forced to sound like this. And for the audience out there, I can honestly say, of all the movie hosts here in Cleveland, Super Superhost was the one that I actually watched to watch the movies. Well, yeah, because uh, he he didn't mess with the movie in any way. Which, uh, if you're if you're a purist, that's always something that's good. Uh, we another one that was a local favorite, the Ghoul. Uh, basically, this was Mystery Science Theater 3000 way before. You could almost argue that it was based on what what he and I, as I understand it, Goulardi before him did. They they'd insert uh, different sound effects, different uh, musical cues over the soundtrack. They'd appear on screen, uh, just generally having a good time. And some of the movies they showed did make him a little bit more palatable. But anyway. To get the train back on track here, the plot. Okay, well, well, we, we we can't really mention the plot without mentioning the fact that this is technically a sequel to another uh, Japanese production called Frankenstein Conquers the World. And um, one of the plot points is that allegedly the, the Frankenstein creature, which was... Uh, uh, like a kaiju, it was, it was you know hundreds hundreds of feet tall. Uh, suppose it was destroyed in the first movie, but somehow his cells survived and the, it it began to reproduce and came up with these two creatures that at, at least in the first movie they looked it looked somewhat human. Now it basically uh, there there's a green and a brown uh, gar what they began to refer to as gargantuas. Uh, I guess gargantua and Frankenstein translate as roughly about the same thing. Well, actually, the na- the name of the movie in Japanese, it is Frankenstein's Monsters, Sanda versus Gyra. Gyra would be the green gargantua, and Sanda would be the brown gargantua. I don't know, every time I hear, uh, I know that's what they refer to it in the movie, but every time I hear it's Santa, it sounds too much like Sandra or Sandy. I, I keep getting images of Greece in my head. I could see that. There's a crossover. That's right. Your connection with Greece and the Gargantuas. So anyway, um, 
these two, well, first of all, the green monster appears, and it is uh, pretty much destructive as hell for no reason, which is, of course, what we all love to see in a good kaiju movie. Yeah, and he actually does something a few kaiju, few kaijus have ever done before. And that's actually kill people, and he actually eats a woman. And spits her clothes out onto the uh, tarmac. And it's, it's an interesting measure of how good the technology has gotten. Because uh, it's something that I I apparently completely misunderstood when I saw this when I was little. They they show him spitting it out, and I always thought they were go- showing... Now, mind you, we were watching this for the most part on little color TVs and little black and white TVs when, when we were kids. Right. And what it looked like was... Uh, apparently, all he does is spit out the, her dress. Correct. But... Then they show this close-up, and I always thought that was like her bones and, and all that. Apparently, it's the flowers that she was holding prior to being eaten. And for years, the, the, the melange that that looks like on a small color or black and white screen, I always thought that was like her, her body like in a pulp state of some sort. Well, you know, that's one of those indelible, indelible images from our youth that the fiend without a face, you know, there's just certain things that almost have imprinted themselves in the mind. The spitting out of the clothes, for some reason, is one of them. That's probably the, one of the, one of the, as you said, most indelible images, but it's kind of funny to, I, I, that part always freaked me out when I was a kid, because normally they'd show different, different monsters, uh, you know, crumbling over and stumbling over buildings that had no furniture. I mean, it's obvious. It's obviously paper mache. No, they never show anybody really getting hurt, with rare exceptions. But not only was this someone getting hurt, but freaking eaten alive. And it's like, wow, that that really is borderline traumatic when you're, you know, watching this at the age of twelve. Yeah, I can agree with that. Like I said, one of those images. That and there's a shot of the green gargantua from a boat looking down in the water, and it's looking up at them. Okay. Oh, my goodness. That was just a really good, uh, that was just a really good shot. Um, As as usual with these type of movies, and we talked a little bit about this uh, in King Kong vs. Godzilla, the the green screens or chroma key, uh, it's really bad when they're doing it because of the state of the technology at the time. But there's, there's a lot of scenes where, it, it they really do kind of a nice effect of holy crap this thing is like uh, you know how many feet away it looks like it's literally just just ready to pounce and as I said the Gyra is his name um, let me see. The, 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 Gyra? The, the green one the bad one I think that's Gyra yeah he's actually kind of kind of a, a bad mama jamma as for I mean he's he is he he's really like got a, a major chip on his shoulder. He doesn't want revenge. He just wants to, like, destroy things and eat people. Well, you know, he and after a while, he gets to know that the light is where the food is. And you know what the funny thing is? The one person I wanted to see get eaten in this movie... Oh, the singer... Is 
this was such a cheesy production number, I, I can't even begin to tell you. If my lips could only say the pretty words that I feel in my heart. And she can't sing that well either. If my voice could make the sound, I would I was actually a little disappointed when, 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 the, uh, when the gargantua didn't eat her. <laughs> well, that was my point. You know, I was actually kind of thinking, thinking that the whole words get stuck in my throat thing was... Oh, that's awful. Well, I'm sorry. I love that's, it, but that's awful. That's just the way my mind works on these things. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's just like, oh, okay, well, she's going to get eaten, and we're all supposed to fall in love with the, this stunning creature, and uh, he basically puts her down. and uh, Not I, very gently either, because the lights come up and she drops him. Uh, he does the same thing to the um, to Russ Tamlin's assistant later, I, I was kind of looking at it, and it looked like he, she got dropped at least 20 feet. And, uh, yeah, she they put her on a stretcher later, but for the most part, he's like, you know, of course, Russ Tamlin's like, are you okay? And she, and she you know, was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, dude, 20 feet, seriously? Is, okay. is there a bro- bone in your body that's not broken right now? Okay, I have to. This was a scene where they had to run down into the subway to get, out of the way because Green Gargantua was coming into town. Yes. If you're running into the subway, why would you go by an opening where the thing could grab you instead of maybe, I don't know... Going into the subway. Well, not just going into the subway. You have two openings. Stand somewhere in the middle. He's not going to reach down and grab you. Well, well, I think in theory he, he probably could. Because it, it does seem like the Gargantua had, had awfully long arms. But uh, I, I agree. It's typical horror movie stupidity. Well, I, I now that I think about it, I think they did kind of explain that away as she thought it was the brown Gargantua. And she did have a connection with the brown Gargantua. Then she saw green and... Oh, she thought it was the brown Gargantua that was out there. Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't pick up on that, so... Still kind of stupid, but not as. So, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll give her that. Okay. Uh, so, back to the plot. Um, the screen gargantua, like I said, bad mama jamma, basically tearing up stuff and uh, ready to rumble, awful hungry. And uh, suddenly they they remember that they have this brown gargantua that the the fine actor Russ Tamblin. Uh, Father to uh, Amber Tamblin of Joan of Arcadia and Sisterhood of the Traveling Jeans or Traveling Pants. Haven't seen either one, so I couldn't tell you. Okay. Well, it's I got forced to watch some of this stuff, so I'm, I'm familiar with her work. But that was her dad. And oh, okay. uh, he basically plays this uh, American scientist, which we, we have to get into a conversation about that. But let me just uh, keep keep the plot summary going. He basically... Uh, raised a, a gargantua from a baby and then released it into the wild. Well, actually escaped into the wild. But mm, Tomato, tomato. You, yeah. you, you let it get away one way or another. You either, That's you, right. you either did it voluntarily or you screwed up. Either way, you let something that is not human go out into the wild. Again, typical you know, monster movie stupidity. But anyway, he... he comes to the conclusion that this is this is basically the same type of creature, and they come to the conclusion that they are uh, of of similar origin, if not actual brothers. They're they're basically mutated from the original s- cells of 
the Frankenstein from Frankenstein Cop- Conquers the World. Exactly. And actually, they use the phrase Frankenstein repeatedly in the uh, Japanese version. Oh, okay. Yeah. And th- again, I didn't see that. In They keep calling him Gargantua, so I'm guessing somewhere along the line, those kind of have a similar translation. No, they actually do refer to them as Gargantuas at one point in there. Oh, okay. But during the during a lot of the earlier part of the movie, they actually refer to him as Frankenstein. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, so they're they're trying to they figure out that although the green one, the bad one, is attracted to the light, he can't stand the light, and it and it hurts him. Well, if I recall correctly, at the beginning. The light hurt him because there was a scene in the airport and the sun came out from behind the clouds. Yes. He shrieked in pain and ran. Right. Then they were telling everyone in the city, keep your lights on. The gargantua is coming. But then something clicks in his gargantua brain and he knows that the light is where the food is. Ah, okay. Again, I, I didn't pick up on that. I thought he was hungry all, all the time, whatever was in front of him. Well, you see, when you watch these masterpieces three times like I did... Well, yeah, kind of pick up on things. See, if this was the weekend movie, I would have watched it three times. See see what I did there? Ooh, I like that. Anyway, so the the army gets out their uh, you know, their best artillery, the and I got to say this is arguably the only I mean they they do it's all done in miniature and it's pretty good work. Um, I, I like the way the the lasers or as I looked online they're they're referred to as uh, masers. I don't know what the M stands for. I don't know either. Uh, the Mazers, they do show up through a lot of Toho's kaiju films. Uh, they actually and play you can a get ver- them on eBay. You know, that would... all that For those crap, of you listening, that's my Christmas list. I'll tell you what. They have an awful lot of cool stuff on eBay, that sort of thing. And uh, I would really like to have a Mazer sitting up on my shelf. Okay, so for, for anybody that's listening... That's that's item number one on on our stocking stuffer, but anyway, uh, I had I did notice, you know, they always show, you know, almost all th- up until the advent of computer graphics, um, they did every special effects movie, monster or otherwise, used miniatures. This is one of the only ones I've ever seen where they use miniatures of, of military vehicles, and they had actual miniatures of the guys on them too. Did you did you catch that? Uh, I gotta be honest, I kind of didn't. Yeah, I saw that and I'm like, oh my god, I have never ever seen that. That is, it's both cool and cheesy at the same time. It is, and uh, well, on the disc that I watched it on, Toho started re-releasing a lot of things on what they call their Toho Masterpiece Collection. Yes, that one came with Rodan, as I as it I it did. Looked. Yeah, and there was also an excellent. Excellent documentary on there. Really? About all the people who did special effects. Not about Honda or the guy that did the music or that. Oh, okay. It was about the guys that did special effects, and it also had the guys that played Godzilla on it. Because there were well, three Godzilla actors. Yeah, I was going to say, the guy, I did look that up, and I found that fascinating. The the green Gargantua, what, um, his name escapes me at the moment, but he's the guy that was in the actual Godzilla suit for probably 80 to 90% of the Godzilla movies. Right. I think he was during the first era, because then when they did uh, ones during the 90s, that was a different actor. And then the most recent ones were yet a third actor. But that particular actor 
that you're referring to, and I'm embarrassed. I don't remember the name, and I don't really feel like looking it up right this second. No disrespect to the actor. But the Gargantua was actually one of his favorite roles that he ever played. Well, it, and it's weird, too, and I, I, I don't want to really start a can of worms here, but I, in the weight of that costume must be really, really bulky and awkward. The Godzilla I, suit? No, 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 the, the, the Gargantua suit. Because I kept thinking, until I found out that it was it was the guy that did the Godzilla suit, I kept wondering if it was like a big girl. Because he kept running with, with his arms out to his sides like, like a girl would. Well, I think that has something to do with the way the shoulders were built. Because if you look at the shoulders, he almost looks like he has shoulder pads on. Uh, that could very well be. I wouldn't discount that at all. Okay, so now we have the military out. And uh, they're, they're, they're hitting him with uh, the mazers. Uh, nice animation effects for, for him being... And they also electrify the, uh, the local stream. Yeah, they jack him up pretty good, as I recall. Yeah, he uh, he he gets a nice little jolt, and uh, again, this is something we talked about when we reviewed the Gamera movie. He he actually takes some damage. There's there's uh, quite a few little chunks taken out. And, uh, you know, they they show some some red spots, some some blood, and uh, now the Gamera movie we had reviewed that actually came out in uh, the 80s. This was uh, uh, mid 90s, I believe. Okay, well, further to prove my point is that. You kind of expected it then, but this was this was uh, back in the 60s era, and we were actually being shown blood. Yeah, now mind you, it wasn't overdone. He did have quite a few spots on his body that were, they had the red areas and that, but you could tell he'd been hurt pretty bad by the humans. Okay, uh, I, I just looked it up. The actor's name is Haruo Nakajima. That's the guy that uh, was was basically Godzilla and then later later did the Gargantua. His, his credit list on uh, Wikipedia is he's got like about 80 credits. I mean the guy, the, the guy is like a, he was he was a legend for Tojo Studios as far as how many roles he played and then it's my understanding they like you said they yanked him out, got a new actor in there and he basically wound up retiring being a janitor in, in the studio, which I thought was really sad. Yeah, I think he had just gotten to the point because if you figure, he first played Godzilla in 1954. Right. So even if he was, say, 18 at the time, you you, ta- you put a good 40 years on that. It's, it's my understanding he's still alive. I think he's like in his 90s by now. Well, at the time they made the documentary, they actually showed all three of the actors who played Godzilla. Okay. And each of them kind of doing the distinctive, uh, their version of Godzilla. And he did look pretty old on that. I mean, I'm sure it was just a matter of he was just too old to be able to handle a costume anymore. See, to the average person, doesn't realize the subtleties, uh, you know, involved in playing Godzilla. I mean, there, there's so many different ways you can go with it. Well, actually, uh, if I think about it, I'll loan you the disc. But like the later Godzilla, by later I mean 2000 and on, he had all those spikes, so he had to be a little bit more hunched over. Yeah. Um, the 90s Godzilla. Just the way he fought and the way he moved was completely different from the one who danced a jig in Monster Zero. Yeah, that was probably an all-time low point for Godzilla, as, as far as I'm concerned. Even even though, as a kid, I'm I'm like, what the heck is he doing? God, he's 
having a son ruined him. <laughs> well, just because it was uh, Minya, probably more than anything. Anywho, so we the after they uh, electrocute the the green one, the brown one shows up and basically rescues him, takes him takes him away uh, to uh, somewhat nearer the ocean. Basically, it's it's actually I don't know if it's intentionally a funny sequence, but it it made me laugh. Is that he's trying to revive th- this uh, green one, and it's barely responding. So he that grabs a tree and starts beating him with oh, it. Oh no 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 no! I was actually going to mention this. He's just kind of there resting. A little bit before this scene, there were some hikers on the mountain. Right. And you remember uh, Doctor Russ and right and the lady from Monster Zero were there. And then, yeah, this is the same actress from Monster oh, Zero. I did not know that. Well, she looked very familiar. But there were all these hikers up in the mountains, you know, okay. day picnickers or whatever. And so those are the ones that were singing the, the weird song that, they, that, that Akami uh, knew also happened to know. Um, she was singing along, too. It, I don't know. Maybe it's a Japanese folk song or something. I'm sure but, it is. But. but he, as they're walking... They show him coming through a mountain pass. Right. And they all start running. Then we cut to where Green Gargantua is just kind of laying there, you know, like sleeping it off or whatever. Okay. Brown Gargantua comes up, looks at him, looks down on the ground, and there's chewed up clothing there. I didn't catch that. At which point you could see, even with that mask and all that face, or his face, you could just see what's going through his mind. Like, you son of a... That's when he pulls the tree out and whacks him with the tree. Oh, I thought he was just trying to revive him. Oh, no, because that is the point where it is on. Oh, okay. All right, you see... See, you you miss one little thing like that, and and the whole scene, to me, wound up being played for last. Like, you're not going to sit on your gargantuan ass. (laughs) I want to (laughs) rumble. I want to play. That's right. Yeah, that was actually what happened in that. Oh, okay. Show. Well, geez, now I gotta go back and see the damn thing again. I mean, that's <laughs> God. Not that I've ever fallen asleep watching these things, but I mean, that. Oh, come that, on! Some of these are like videos, Samanex. And for our younger viewer, viewers, Samanex was a sleep aid back in the seventies. Remember, when someone you love can't sleep, drug them. <laughs> the cast and crew of It Came from Beneath the Drive-In Movie. Do not condone the use of drugs or drugging of family members. But we understand it. <laughs> okay, back on the rails. So, a- as you say, it's on. Then they proceed to start wailing on each other. And I got to say, maybe it's because they, they don't have any tails, they don't have any spikes, they don't have any extraneous uh, accoutrements to their, their monstrosity. They really get into a rumble. They do, and those suits really let them uh, move around quite a bit. Yeah. I, I guess out of all the different ones we've seen, uh, not just the ones we reviewed, I mean, the one we've both seen quite a few of these. I think, realistically, this is one of my favorite just all-in-out brawl sequences. Oh, come on. One of the gargantuas basically picks up a boat in the uh, ocean and clonks the other one with it. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, they, they've got no... no uh, Death rays. They've got. They've got no other 
you know, not it's 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 really just a pure. It, it's like en- enter the enter the kaiju, you know. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what Bruce Lee's favorite drink is? What's that? What? <laughs> Had to do that. I actually have a drum roll on my thing, but. It's anyway, way over there, and I'm way over here. So yes, in our, in our spacious uh, studio. Anyway, so they start wailing the tar out of each other, and uh, it kind of goes back and forth. And they they start moving. They they go into the ocean where you would think, because that seems to be like his opposite of kryptonite. You would think the green gargantua would suddenly get stronger, and yet they pretty much just keep keep rumbling, oblivious to everything, and suddenly a volcano starts to erupt. I think because of the bombs, the uh, the military is dropping. I, I could be wrong on that. I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I'm not sure why the volcano goes off. seems like every time that scene would come up, I'd have to go get a drink, and I'd always forget to pause it. It's all the water. I get it. But, uh, yeah, it... Well, I, I'm I'm trying to help out the producers because I don't think they were very clear. I don't think they foreshadowed the fact that there was a volcano in the area. Although, when it actually when they're explaining it after the fact, they're like the volcano. It it just you know I'm like what volcano? Was there a volcano in the area that that you mentioned? That's what you'd call a convenient plot device because at some point I can't remember if it was in the American version or not, but they mentioned that they could not basically blow the gargantuas up because yeah, then because the cells, cells might reproduce exactly. yet again yet again yeah so um it, i think i think the writers and it's, it's strange to think that there were writers for this movie um <laughs> uh, but i think they kind of painted themselves into a corner so they're like well it has to be something obviously the military can't do it how about a, about a volcano yeah that's the ticket so they kind of Got the the volcano special effects, and the monsters are swallowed by the volcano, and that's pretty much where the movie ends. Now, i got to say, this particular one, it has always been a favorite of mine, and sometimes when you go back and revisit these films, you know, you might have a certain expectation or a certain remembrance and just think, Yes. Or I remember how much I loved that movie, and then you go back and you can't help but be disappointed. You can't go home again. Yeah. I.e. Mad Monster Party, but um, yes, yes. But this particular one, I was pleasantly surprised that I enjoyed it just as much now as I did way back when. I enjoyed the action sequences, you know, the two monsters brawling. I actually enjoyed that more than when I was a kid. You know, uh, other kids played, you know, cowboys and Indians or or cops and robbers. My cousins and I played played basically Godzilla versus everybody and it, and you know the good guy was always Godzilla and you know that that's that's how we rolled when I was like you know 10 but um, one of the things I guess I, I, I really like the the brawl sequences they I actually enjoyed it more now that but I was a little disappointed to find out that as I said the gross out moment where he eats the girl what I thought was like her, her pulp uh, Basically, her her remains in a pulp was actually a bunch of flowers. It was like, oh, I thought that would look... Oh, wait, that's flowers. Hey, oh, I remember that so much differently. Well, again, this is what every, you know, everybody brings something different to the table. 
you and I never watched it together when we were kids, so we never. It was the first time we're having this conversation. But uh, I, I just thought it was weird that oh my god, how could I have gotten that wrong for thirty some years? Like I said, you know, sometimes it's just indelible images. Yes. Um, one thing I, I'd like to also talk about, and, and I want I want you to elaborate on this is uh, the weird dubbing that was involved with this movie because uh, from. From what I could tell, now you have the Japanese version. I did not see that. If I'm, if I'm now, I'm pretty good at lip reading because I have a very, very slight hearing loss. And it looked like Russ Tamblin was actually speaking English, but everybody else was speaking Japanese in the same conversation. That's exactly what was going on. And How weird was that? Well, they did the same thing with Nick Adams in. Uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World and Monster Monster Zero. It's a long-standing thing. But see, those look like they were... Well, I haven't seen Monster Zero in a long time, but to me, those seemed like edited together like the original Godzilla was. They basically took these these English parts and just kind of edited them in after the fact, whereas this looks like it it was Japanese and American actors working together. But apparently, but it, I'm like, you know, Russ Tamlin obviously didn't learn Japanese. He's speaking a line of English, and then his co-stars are speaking Japanese. Well, if you really want to see something really odd, see the Japanese version, because they dub over all of Russ Tamlin's dialogue in Japanese. And they actually give him a so deeper voice. So it's kind voice. of reverse dub. Uh, in a manner of speaking, sure. Okay. Now, what they do with a lot of these movies as or what they did with a lot of these movies, I should say, you would have the Japanese version, you'd have the American dub, then they'd have another one, I want to call it the AIP dub, basically it was the international version, okay. which might be completely different from the other ones. Okay. Now, I don't know which dub version we happen to see. I don't have a clue. Uh, I don't know. But, uh, like I said, I, I'm watching this thing, and as I said, I, I'm not an expert, but I've gotten pretty good at uh, reading lips, at least to, up to a point. And I'm, I'm watching, I mean, it's obvious that the Japanese are speaking Japanese and being dubbed into English. But in the same scene, it, in the same shot, no less, you know, Russ Tamblin is, uh, he's actually speaking his, his own dialogue. He's actually speaking English. And I'm like, how weird must that have been to film? Well, actually, it's not that uncommon, oddly enough. Uh, and I know you're not a big fan of westerns, but a lot of the spaghetti westerns that Clint Eastwood did, yes, you'd have people speaking Italian, you'd have Clint Eastwood speaking English, and then they'd import a lot of Mexican actors, and they'd all be speaking Spanish. So nobody would be speaking the same language. That's really weird. Uh, a, a more modern take on that, and it's a little... It's a little more obscure because a lot of people don't realize it. If you've ever seen um, The Passion of the Christ, there's actually like about three or four different languages being spoken in that movie. I have never seen that one. Yes, it's. Uh, I, I won't get into a religious discussion, obviously, but it's the same type of thing. Like Jesus is speaking Aramaic, but like uh, Pontius Pilate is speaking uh, Roman and et, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, oh, so uh, they have like the old Star Trek uh, Universal Translator going, um, with subtitles, but yes. Okay. So uh, we are at about the thirty-three minute mark. So you got any final thoughts on this one? 
definitely a classic uh, from back in the day. Uh, two thumbs way, way up for it. Uh, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna get into the wonderful world of kaiju, I would rate this in at least in the top five, if not the top three of all time. I would agree. This movie is just a heck of a lot of fun. So we both recommend it. Go out and watch it. It's actually uh, up for rent on Netflix. Uh, chase it down. Pop up some popcorn. Just take a quick look at it. And invite the kiddies to come along. Yeah, it's good, clean fun. Once they once they get st- uh, stop uh, rolling their eyes that you're entertained by this, they might actually like it. <laughs> okay, so tell me, Strat, what's our movie for next week? Next week, we're going to be looking at something a little bit different. This is a classic from uh, baseball. Well, I'm not so sure I'd call it a classic, but continue. Well, we'll we'll call it a classic in the ironic sense of the term, but uh, it's uh, something from way, way back in in the 70s. Uh, It it goes by two names. The one we saw it way back when is called Horror High, and it was also released under the uh, title Twisted Brain. It's basically a, a Jekyll Hyde type movie. And uh, it I know for both of us it's got some personal memories. So that should be an interesting discussion. And so that's next week. And for It Came From Beneath the Drive-In Movie, this is D-Dub. And Stratus here. Saying, go watch a B-movie. And if you can't find that one, find a Z-movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. Yeah.